Wow, thank you, EJ. And thank you, Helen, for the testimony and everything from you. It's great. Hey, well, good. I don't know. It's like good right in the middle of the day, everybody. You guys doing good? Yes. Okay. Some thumbs up. And you know, those of you online, and thank you for joining us online. You might want to just give a little bit of a hi to your um, host and give a little thumbs up there. That would be great. Well, today we're starting in part two of our Compelled series, and it's an opportunity for us to really talk about how to care for one, one another during this time of isolation. Now, Pastor Steve, he actually went and talked a couple weeks ago about our need to go and be together, the need to go and that two is better than one, definitely is better. You know, um, we know it comes with stresses, it comes with strains together, because when we're trying to get together, but at the same time, we need each other, especially during these times that we are experiencing. You know, one thing I remember doing Pastor Steve's sermon, and I don't know if you remember it too, but, um, and there's a lot I remember, but there's this one thing, and there's no offense to this, but he kept saying, man, you know, people do like stupid things, right? I don't know, he was like, people do stupid things, and I'm thinking, ah, I have done some really stupid things, and I bet you guys have done some stupid things. And so I, was, I started reminiscing and started thinking back. And in a day that we're asked to go and follow the science, I, I, I had a, a line when I was growing up. It wasn't follow the science. It was in the name of science. I was a little bit curious, a little bit of a rascal. And so I was one of those kids, right? It's like they would go around during New Year's. We would get all these fireworks and we would like blow things up just to see in the name of science how far and how big of an explosion that we could do. You know, you've heard that kid, the one that went to the hospital because he kind of hurt his hand and kind of lost a finger or something like you never want to do that. I wasn't one of those kids because I have all 10 fingers, okay? I know you're looking, it's like, does he have, have nine? No, I have all 10. But so you should never do that. But in the name of science, someone told me that you can make a magnet stronger by putting electricity through a magnet. So I went home and then I got a magnet. And I didn't have wires, so I got metal chopsticks. And I put it on the top of a, of a magnet. And I needed a power source, and I couldn't find one. The electrical socket. So I put on rubber gloves, the kind that you go and use to go and wash, you know, you wash your dishes with. And I, and I put it in. Big, giant spark. And I thought, I had seen the light. And um, luckily, uh, nothing happened to me. But the thing about it, I'm still alive. Um, but I realized the fact that I wasn't going to live for very long because at that moment, as I could see everything clearly, there was a black street that was coming all the way up my wall, and I could hear my dad's car driving up the street. He had opened up the garage door, and I knew he was, I was dead. I'm so glad the fact that I'm alive, right? <laughs> you know, um, the thing about it is the fact that I am alive, and I'm thankful every single day in the fact that I could live for the Lord. But one thing I'm so thankful for were the friends that came alongside of me and they kind of, they, they would invite me to this small little group to read this thing called the Bible and all of a sudden they would talk about their story and how they came to know God. It was through that I came to know God in a personal way. It was through that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and also my Lord. And so I'm very thankful for that. And so my, that line of, in the name of science, all of a sudden, I changed it to in the name of faith and how I could make a difference for God. You know, when I became a Christian in college, things changed. You know, I wanted to make a difference. 
And so I wanted to add value to others. I wanted to help them. I wanted to, them to know Jesus. I wanted them to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And, and over the years, I have found that this desire to make my life count, to add value to others, to introduce others to Jesus, that they can make them the Savior and Lord, has actually increased over the years. And so I think that's what our teaching is about today. And the fact that today I want to talk to you about making a difference to change our world. And it's in the context as we're starting our cell group season, so in the context of, of cell groups, that we can have communities that can make a difference in this world for God. You know, if there's such a greater need right now, especially in the world that we're living in right now, that we need to be together, that we need to stay together. We need to learn how to help each other during this time, especially in the days that we're living right now. And I have learned over the years the fact that being a Christian, being this people called a Christ follower, is a fact that we're called to make a difference. But what's also incredible is the fact that we are actually, that we, more importantly, we can make a difference. So I put in your notes there. If you didn't download your notes yet, you can look at your notes. I have a bunch of notes there. I put on the top of your notes. I said, you know what? We can see transformation in our lives. And we can transform the lives of others for Christ, especially this year. And it starts with us. So in our time together, let me remind you of this. In the fact that, you know what, we can see transformation in our own lives this year. But also we have the opportunity to go and make a transformed lives for other people, for Christ. That we have an opportunity to go and be that change agent that we have an opportunity to make a difference. Now, as I'm saying this, and it's my first time opportunity to go and speak to you this coming year, and the fact that um, I have a question for you. I have two. But number one is this. Number one is, for 2021, how many of you would like to go and see and just improve your life today? You know, improve your life this coming year. How many? Yeah, there's a few of you. Well, that's good. That's good, right? Second question you might like a little bit better. How many of you would like to see the person that you're sitting next to you, beside you right now, greatly improve this year. How many of you, like, yes, hands up really, really high. Hopefully aligned. Like, you're thinking, yeah, I, you really need to. Please don't poke them. That really hurts. That elbow really pokes them when you poke them, okay? Just, just don't do that. But we need to do this together. We need this to do together in 2021. But we have one of two choices this year. That we can either curse the darkness or we can turn on the light. And what I've learned over the years is the fact that, you know what? Cursing the darkness improves no one's life. That this year we have an opportunity to turn on the light and all of a sudden, you know what? We can see things a little bit more brighter. Maybe things are more incredible, more beautiful. That we can go and see things of like, you know, people change this year. So let me encourage you this year. Let us turn on the light. You know, as we looked at the scriptures today, I, you know, I was talking to you about this whole thing about changing the world within our communities. And I'm not the first one to talk about this. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16, and we'll kind of go a little bit around there. And as you're looking there right now, is the fact that, you know, in Jesus, he taught this thing. He, he would tell people, let me tell you why you are here. Let me tell you why you are here. And it's the question that comes up to me many times, even yesterday. Um, people were asking me, you know, Pastor, Pastor Ben, how do you, how do you know God's purpose for your life? 
How do you understand God's will for your life? And for Jesus, it was very simple. He says it from the very beginning of his ministry as he's speaking to people in this crowd. We know that the context of it is about the, he's speaking to him about the Beatitudes. And then he all of a sudden, he tells them why they are here. That they're there to be salt and light. So let me read this. Actually, I'm going to read two versions of this. So um, this is the ESV version. And it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And we've heard this many times as a Christian. Called to be salt, we're called to be light. But I want you to kind of understand this. When it says you, it's kind of like, wow, he was just talking to one single person. No, remember he was talking to a crowd that was sitting in small little groups. And as we hear this scripture today, he is speaking not just to you, but he's speaking to all of us. So when he's talking, it's in the context, it's all of us together. It, it, It assumes the fact that, you know what? When we read the Bible, many times we read it as an individual. But in context, we realize the fact that only together can we make lasting change in this world. And so let me read just the ESV, um, the the message version. I like this message version. Many times it's just very clear. He tells you this. He says, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out God's flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people, ta- people taste godliness or how do they see God? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Hmm. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bring out God's colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If, you make your light, if I make you light bearers, you don't think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I've put you on a light stand. Now, put, I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. He calls us to shine in the midst of all the things that are happening. But there's something huge that we make sure we don't miss. When you meet the first part of the verse, make sure you read the last part too. The last part says this, is the fact that if we would do this, that we would open up to others, all of a sudden you will prompt people, other people, to open up to God. You know, Jesus was basically saying the fact that, you know what? We are to change the world by being salt, which makes things so much better. You're called to be light, and it makes things so much brighter. In other words, you and I And us as Christians, we were called to be this catalyst in helping people come to know God. Now, it's natural to think the fact that community, we kind of separate our communities separately. That's how we do this here in California a lot. But we do this in church too. We think about, you know, it's like our worship service. We think about our prayer chapel. We think about the children's service. We think about cell group as something separate in what we do. And we kind of make choices in which ones we are supposed to partake in. Truthfully, all of us is supposed to work together. 
When it comes to cell groups, it allows us to practice in what Helen was talking about today. It allows us to practice in studying God's word. It allows us to worship. It allows us to pray. It allows us to go and care for one another, support one another. It allows us to practice in this way so we can do this together. So cell groups allows us to practice, but it also allows us to do this. It allows us to demonstrate the very power of the cross. And it, that it, it has actually made a difference in our lives. So our communities, we call them cell groups. It allows us to practice, but it also allows us to demonstrate the very power of what Christ has did on the cross for you and me. You know, when Jesus says that you are salt and you are light, when we leave the very walls of this church, all of a sudden, you know, we, we live out in the world, but we come together in these times. And it seems to be, sometimes it can be, seem mundane. Sometimes it seems boring. Sometimes it seems like it's just an inconvenience. It's hard for you to get there. But when we gather together, there's something that, you know what, the world longs for. The world longs for that. Something we, we, we don't even realize this. The world longs for this and the fact that when we meet together, maybe if we can't meet together in person, even if we meet each other on Zoom calls, there's a glow about it. There's an attractiveness that you won't find anyplace else. And the fact that when we gather together and the fact that we realize this, the fact that Jesus is the one who has brought us together and there's something so different that the world absolutely needs. Now, when we begin to understand that we have a responsibility to be this catalyst for change, the first thing we need to understand is this, and it's very true, the fact that a lot of people don't like to change, right? We don't like to change. Would you agree with me? Yeah, right? How many of you know of someone that is just stuck? They don't want to change, right? I won't have you answer that question because all of a sudden you're going to say, yeah, the person beside me, don't do that. I almost saw that. I, I, I saw that. Oh, my goodness, right? But at the same time, when you think about change, the reason why we don't like change, because it's so uncomfortable, right? Especially now and the fact that it takes us out of our comfort zone. During COVID-19, it has taken us out of our comfort zone right now. You know, this past year, I was talking to Pastor Steve and some of our staff. I feel like I just can't find my rhythm. I mean, I feel like things are so different right now. So I'm trying to find my, my schedule, trying to figure out how to do things. And I don't know if it's been the same with you, but it's just my rhythm's been off. It's been very uncomfortable right now. And at the same time, it's been one of those things where change is just difficult. Change is just hard. Why don't you do this for me real quickly, okay? Why don't you just, I know it's cold, so some of you are doing this already. Why don't you just fold your arms together? Just fold your arms together. You want online too, please fold your arms. How's that feel? Feels pretty good, nice and warm for those of you who are in here right now. But I want you to do this. I want you to kind of do it opposite now. Put your other arm behind the other arm, right? Some of you are having a hard time doing it. Um, I think I went back to my normal one. Um, <laughs> But the thing about it is that now it feels very uncomfortable. We've done it thousands of times. We've, every time we do it, we do it the same way. All of a sudden, we start doing it differently. It feels very uncomfortable. Do this for me real quickly. Why don't you all grasp, clasp your hand right now? We've done it a thousand times. What you didn't know is the fact that we do it the same, exactly the same way every single time. 
Now do this for me. Just put one finger over and make it a little bit more different. And how does that feel? Feels so uncomfortable, doesn't it? Right? It can't be right. During this season of 2021, you can unclasp your hands if you want to. But during this year, we're asked to do things a little bit differently. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. It's not what we're used to, but it's the most vital thing that we need to do this year. Who would have thought, you know, one year ago, here at Living Hope, that I'll be standing for you, with you in our patio looking at masks, people wearing masks. If you went into the sanctuary, there's a sign that says, do not sing indoors. Whoever would have thought, right? In 2020, things changed because of the pandemic. We were shocked. We were numbed. All of a sudden, this sense of uncertainty, surprise, and it took us out of our comfort zone. But in 2021, this is what has happened. People are still hurting. People are still shocked. There's a sense of uncertainty. And, and the world right now is looking for something. And this is our opportunity as the body of Christ to make a difference. So in a world right now that is just kind of in shock right now, something else has happened. I know you've recognized this. There's a sense of that the world has been, there's a, the decline of trust. There's been a decline of trust within our nation, within our world. And one of the negatives that we, I have seen because of this decline of trust is that one thing I've learned is this. And the fact that, you know what, I have learned the fact that when you lose trust, you lose everything else. And that's where our nation is at right now. Here are some stats of our country. In 1964, 77% of Americans trusted in the federal government. In 1994, 20% of Americans trusted in the federal government. And there's a lot of reasons. Watergate, there was things about Vietnam. A lot of things happening during that time. But in 2014, all of a sudden now, we have 70% who believe that most people cannot be trusted. And what we have seen is this. There's been a lowering of trust, first in institutions, now when it comes to people. First institutions, and it leads us where people are not trusting other people. And, the, and this is the confidence that we have lost in our country over, over this year. And the fact that, and we can say that this is true, right? And the fact that there's a lot of distrust all around us. When we watch the news, I don't know if I can trust the news. I don't know if I can go and trust our governmental leaders. I don't know if I can trust the medical leaders too. I don't know if I can even trust the people within my company, my leaders, or, or as a, my employees. There's a sense of loss. But I have to always say, say this too. And the fact that, you know what? I would say that us as a church, we haven't done much better. And the fact that in a, there's been adversity, times of trouble out in the world, when I see the church as a whole. I have said in the beginning, either we can curse the darkness or we can turn on the light. And the fact that you know, this is our time to make a difference in transforming ourselves. This is our opportunity to maybe say, you know what, we'll take this opportunity to maybe transform others around us. That we would be salt and light in which Jesus has called all believers and let me tell you today, as I've kind of went through all of this, let me tell you four practical ways, four practical ways and how we can go and maybe do this, that we can make a difference in this world 
maybe build an environment of trust. And so we're starting our cell group season. This is something I think is very vital for us to do, that we need to create an environment of trust amongst each other. And it's very easy. Anyone can do this. You can do this. I can do this. Turn to your neighbor and tell them. Turn to someone at home right now. And if you're at home watching by yourself, turn to a mirror and just say, you can do this. Turn to someone right now. Say, you can do this. Yeah, you can do this. Good, 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 good. I'm saying glad you're with me. So how do we build an environment of trust so we can change the world? Number one is this. Value people. Very simple. Value people. A trusted environment is created and it begins when people feel valued. And the word beside that I put there is called connecting. Because when people feel valued, there's an opportunity to connect with them. The flip side is also true. When we devalue people, we disconnect. And if you want to be Christ-like, this should be a top of our agenda, that we should be someone who values everybody. Why? Because Jesus valued everybody. Let that sink in. Not just a few, not just a some, but everybody. There was no person here on earth in which God does not value. Jesus did not value. You know, the only people that really had a difficulty of Jesus valuing everybody, you know, in his day, really was the religious people because they were so different. They were bothered greatly by Jesus hanging around with all these tax collectors, these sinners, people who are different than us, who didn't even have different, who had different values than us. But I don't want you to miss this. And the fact that Jesus values everybody. You know, why are you spending time with them? Why are you talking with them? And for Jesus, it was very simple. I'm a doctor. I'm here to care for the sick. I'm a shepherd. I'm here to go and find lost sheep. You know, there's something very engaging and very connecting when we do this. And the fact that when we as people, we would go and be able to hang out and be, be able to hang out and do things with people who are different than us. But if we do this, that there is an unconditional love that comes from us, from you and from me. And that's something that we need to go and practice this coming year. And it's something that we need to learn to demonstrate and that we would have an opportunity within our cell groups this year. You know, this is where Christians, I think, have utterly failed many times. When I think about how the world many times looks at us and how people look at us many times as a church as a whole, they don't see unconditional love from us. And that's why we wonder why there's such a disconnect. You see, my perspective determines my attitude or my perspective of you determines my attitude towards you. I love this quote. It says, if I see you as weak, I will help you. If I see you as broken, I will fix you. But this one is most important. But if I see you as valuable, I will serve you. Very important. Because if I go and see you as weak, I help you. If I see you as broken, I'll fix you. But, you know, those first two, it means the fact that I'm somehow over you. I'm somehow better than you. But if I see you as valuable, all of a sudden, at that moment, I come under you and I start serving you. 
And that's what's called a servant's heart. And that's why Paul would go to all kinds of means to go and say, you know what, I will do anything to help win people to Christ. In Philippians 2, 3 to 8, Paul would say, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at your own interests, but also at the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking form of a servant, being born in, in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what Paul is saying, that even though he was incredibly gifted, he was following Jesus' example by becoming to serve, to become a servant. Because he knew that that was the only way to go and transform people back to God. And so number one is this, we, we, we value people. And we want to connect with people. But that goes with my number two. And the fact that, you know what, we need to create this environment of trust. So number two is this, very simple, add value to others. And this is kind of connected to that of, of the first one. Because value, adding value to others means that we see people as valuable. But it's taking it a step further. It's willingness to go engage and help them, to lift them up, to encourage them, to maybe give them something that is in need to support them in, in whatever they need, right? It's adding value to others. It's our opportunity to encourage them to grow in their relationship with God. Now, trust is built not by some agenda, but it's by a willingness to add value to others with no strings attached. You know, this year has been very discouraging for others. Discouraging for me in many ways. But I have to tell you, this year, I've been actually very encouraged by what, some of the stories that I've heard that are coming out from our cell groups, how people have come alongside from each other. You know, maybe some of them, they, they don't want to see each other, right? They, they, they got to follow the signs. So tell them, I'm dropping something off. They leave something at the door. They ring their doorbell. They run as fast as they can to get back in their car, right? Maybe there's things in need that people have needed, which is great. I love the fact that that's happening and how Helen talked about those benefits of why you attend the cell group. so important. But I have to tell you, I'm actually very excited for this year. Not only because the fact that I'm excited because I realize the fact that when I did the count, normally when I first came here to Living Hope, we had about 400-something in cell groups. I think this year we have 575 now people within cell groups this year. The reason why I'm excited, not because of the number, but what would happen this year if we just did these two things I just told you right now to, to build trust, right? All we did was just value people, look upon them as valuable, and we would just add value to people. Can you imagine the stories that would come out this year because if we just did those two things? So I'm looking forward to that. Please tell me your stories. I just put on here, Jesus set us apart to be light, to be an influence here on earth. And we need to do that, salt and light. But let me get you to number three. And it says, live good values. And it makes you believable. Right? We have to, we, we, we talk our talk, but we have to go and live the values in which we say we live. Right? That was, that's what makes someone believable. 
And another word you want to put on there, not just someone who's believable, but, but a person of integrity. And I put here, it says, integrity is not done in a moment, but pursued over a lifetime. And it doesn't matter where you're at right now. Even though you're doing really well, you still have to live a lifetime to be known as a person of, of integrity. And if you're not right now, you can start today. You know, Paul talks in Galatians about this thing, about the fruit of the Spirit. We've heard this many times. Let me just read very quickly. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We've read this many times. These are characteristics, but I think these are values that we need to uphold this coming year. This is the kind of person you want to hang around, right? If you have this joy that overflows, a peace that subdues, a patience that endures, you have this kindness in your actions, man, you have a faith that prevails, a gentleness of heart. You have this stalwart strength within your spirit. That's a pretty attractive person. That's the kind of person you want to hang around. You know, that's called the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit of the Spirit lives within each believer. Something that we can do. We've got to read the front of the verse, but you've got to read the last part of the verse too, right? And it says that against such things there is no law. I believe the fact that we have missed it here in America this past year. That we have lost our way with values. You know, when I think about all the things that have happened this year, and we think about legislation, the, the voting that's happened this year, we think that somehow legislation can make a difference within people's lives. But if the, if the law could make such a difference in people's lives, then we don't need the New Testament, and we don't need Jesus. But somehow, we have made the laws of this country much more important than the values in which people hold on to. In people's lives. We need to be careful with that. We need to come back to values, being reliable, being trustworthy. You know, there are certain markings that happens in, in Christians' lives. Sometimes we think some, you know, a Christian is mature if these things happen. Certain markings are things like the basic level, right? A Christian is someone who goes and has habits of praying and they go to church, basic level. We also say that Christians mature, they become to this intermediate phase. Somehow they go and start reading the Bible when trouble is near, and maybe they go to a cell group. Then we meet the most advanced stage, right? When Christians somehow they memorize scriptures, they do their devotions, they go and do their tithings, they go and get involved in some kind of service, and we would say that these habits would be noticeable. Say, yeah, that person is mature. And I believe that's true. But we need to go beyond just these outward habits as a Christ follower. Instead, the fact that, you know, we need to live fully our lives within the kingdom of God, especially together as a community. It's only together and all of a sudden things start radiating. Things start looking different. Things look actually, um, it's something that attracts the world. That we go and start sharing our values with one another, seeing each other as valuable. But all of a sudden, there's a glow about it and when we meet together. That naturally, in the fact that somehow when you start believing the things that you actually believe, and it starts intermingling, and it starts to somehow just be a part of who you are. And all of a sudden, non-Christians start seeing this also. 
So mature Christians is not only known for what they do, but who they are. And my last point is this. Share good values. And it's all about transformation. It's about transforming. Transformation begins, in fact, as we share our good values. And, um, you know, we share that with you and everything. And we have to create this environment first. Because we can go and, you know, we have to see everyone is valuable. We need to add value. We need to go and live our good values. Only then can we start sharing our values. And that's when we start being known as someone credible. You know, most people, um, I would say the fact that for us as Christians, the most valuable thing that we could ever give and share with others is our relationship with Jesus, our love for Jesus, and what he has done in our life. That's the most valuable thing. But people won't listen to you unless there is trust. And that's what we have to gain back first, trust this year. We have to learn how to practice it together. We have to learn how to demonstrate it together. But as we do that, we become salt and light, and all of a sudden, it's the most attractive thing that we could ever do this year through our cell groups. You know, lasting transformation comes with knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ, and that's true. You know, um, thinking about this past year and thinking about praying about what is it that we need this year? And I, I was thinking, you know, it's like, you know, because we're passing out the book of care, we're thinking, oh, it must be care. It's not just care. It's hope. That's what people are looking for this year. They're looking for hope. And to be cliche about it, um, they need living hope. Not a hope that we talk about, not a hope, the fact that we just go and just say, yeah, it's like, yeah there's hope in Jesus Christ, but we live it out. And that's what the world needs this year. I said in the beginning, you is not singular, it's plural. What does the world need this year? It needs you. It needs all of us living our lives in such a way that we're seeing people as valuable, adding value, living our values, and having opportunities to go and share our values together. In the beginning, I told you in the fact that I think it's very important for us to go and follow the science. We need to go and wear our masks. We need to go and stay six feet apart. We need to do the things that keep us safe. But at the same time, I don't think we should do things in the name of science that we disconnect with others because we can, that we don't live our faith because no one else is watching, to just to see what would happen if I did things in the name of science. No. My challenge to all of us this year is we do things in the name of faith, and seeing, seeing what God can do with each one of us this year as we live for him, that we can make a difference, that we can change our world, and we can do that through our communities this year. Let's pray. So, Lord, I come before you. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather, and, and, it's, and it's still in the beginning of the year. But at the same time, Lord God, we know that it's, there's a lot that we have lost this past year. There's a lot, the fact that we have to grieve. But let us lament for just a moment. But at the same time, as we move forward in 2021, let us see the, the opportunities that are ahead of us right now. The fact that you've called us to be salt, you've called us to be light, you've called us to be difference makers within this world. And it's only together that we can do this. So I pray, Lord God, for our church here, 
And the fact that we would be truly living hope this year. That it's not something that we just do and something that we go to, but it's something that's actually lived out. That we would radiate this unconditional love. That we would shine the fact that who Jesus is. The fact that it would lead people back to you. That they would come to know you personally as Savior and as Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.